This episode is brought to you by Serpents and Salamanders. More of that at the end of the show. One. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, along with my co-host, Matt. Hey. And today we're joined by Viviana Ricardis of the Texas Turtles Organization. Viviana, welcome to the show. Hi, Nate. Hi, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So, uh, when I first get started off, uh, how you first got into animals and reptiles in general, and uh, especially turtles? Yeah, so it's very similar to um, everybody else. Um, kind of really young. We've all, you know, a lot of us with insects and just animals and having things as pets. And it was just, uh, you know, finding turtles crossing the road. I really liked reptiles and amphibians more than I guess the fuzzy stuff, even though I liked all the fuzzy, fluffy, you know, cats, dogs, bunnies, hamster stuff, um, got really fascinated with reptiles and amphibians really early on. And um, my dad was over here yesterday and I was showing him the juvenile box turtle pin that I have in my backyard. And the first little turtle that he saw was an ornate box turtle. I've got an ornate box turtle juvenile back here. And he said to me, he's like, man, I guess I should have never stopped and pick up that turtle for you because now look at this. And it was all started with, you know, my dad knowing I had a crazy love for reptiles and amphibians and picking up a box turtle or a slider. And then it just kind of became to this now. And he looked, stopped and looked around my backyard. I says, yep, now look at this, you know, now here we are. Um, all these years later, uh, deep in with turtles as I have become. So that's kind of, you know, the one little thing that can set someone off. And as we like to say, send you down the path of ruin or the life of poverty and fun. Because, you know, it's not a high-paying gig <laughs> or paying gig at all for some people. So, yeah, here we are. I'm extremely lucky, extremely fortunate to be doing what I'm doing at this stage in my life. And, yeah, doing cool things like this, talking about reptiles and amphibians. There's so many podcasts out there now about turtles, reptiles, everything. And when I was a kid, I had no one to talk to this, talk about this stuff with. I was very much alone in my own little turtley world. And that's it. I mean, you know, the rest is kind of history, as you you know, as they say. So uh, what do you currently do for work? So I have a very normal job <laughs> because, you know, this doesn't quite pay the bills yet. But the main what gets me up in the morning, as we like to say, is having the, my, the nonprofit TexasTurtles.org. And uh, Texas Turtles really started um, back in like 2007. Uh, herpetologist Carl Franklin, whom you've seen on social media, you should definitely know. He's done an incredible amount of stuff herpetology-wise in the last 26 years. He started this website called TexasTurtles.org, and I stumbled across it back years and years ago. And that's how I found out that there was more than just more than one person, more than just me, <laughs> that, that liked turtles in the natural history sense in the ecology and what they do, what they're doing, that sort of stuff, the, the research. I didn't know, you know, as a kid, it was called natural history or ecology. I just knew I liked this stuff. And I still say that a lot as this, this stuff because it just encompasses so much of the natural world. So, yeah, so I basically ended up meeting Carl Franklin, you know, a couple years back. Um, he had the website and we decided, hey, we can do a nonprofit. There was all this need for research and conservation and as our tagline says to fill a texas sized hole because there's just so much that hasn't been done or gaps and things that haven't been published on when it comes to turtles in texas and so yeah we both have this crazy burning 
drive and everyone in our organization uh, right now there's four of us um just really excited about turtles and and discovering these cool little things so the real focus of my organization is is this low-hanging fruit as we like to call it that's kind of been the the word and the term we use over and over of just the simple public publications and natural history discoveries conservation aspects that sort of thing so that's kind of just where we've been geared um we officially became a nonprofit back in 2019 so things got off the ground and then as you know 2020 happened and we just spent a lot of 2020 turtling um doing like visual surveys and stuff and not so much the big community citizen science stuff that we were used to. And so that got put on pause, but now we're like back in full swing with surveys and having volunteers and having this really awesome community of turtle nerds and just um, people from all walks of life uh, coming out and helping and helping us in this research and stuff. So it's been, it's been really fantastic. So that's kind of how in a nutshell of where our, our focus is as an organization um let me ask you this why did you um why why did why did you guys go the nonprofit route for it um mainly i'm asking that for like like if someone you know is listening uh wants to do something similar like maybe in the future like maybe they're really into reptiles and stuff and in the future they want to do something and like start an organization like that like kind of talk about like how you guys got started like um or just the mindset that goes in with that and all that, if that makes sense. Well, the nonprofit thing is obviously it's just like, you know, um, it's the way, oh God, this is a funky one. It's just how we've set up the organization as far as the work, what we wanted to accomplish in that right. conservation science aspect of it, really. I mean, it's not a business. We're not buying, selling, eating turtles. So that's kind of in my head, a lot of what goes on with the business aspect of versus the, the stuff that we do. So I know that's really without getting into all like the, you know, government forums and stuff like that. Right. I, right, right, right. I hope that kind of answers your question. That's, yeah, yeah, if that yeah. makes any sense. I mean, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, good day. So what are the main species you uh, currently study? Yeah. So Texas is really, really awesome for turtles. Overall, the state has 36 different species. Of course, depending on who you ask, and if you want to break down subspecies, I'm counting every taxa, everything, because I think they're all all count. Um, the main one that we've done a lot of work with here lately is obviously the alligator snapping turtle. Um, lots of nerds across the state from here and here all the way to Florida are doing a lot of work with alligator snapping turtles right now. Um, so that's kind of been the big thing pulling us and where we spend a lot of our time. Uh, we're really interested also in things like southern painted turtles. I mean, yeah, southern painted turtles, um, smooth soft shells is something we want to do. Just the general um, population assessments of a lot of the just the different turtle species in Texas. Uh, we're helping out with Kegel's map turtles. I really love the endemics, our Texas endemics. Um, so kind of anywhere and everywhere there's might be this low hanging fruit gap is kind of going to be where our brain goes as far as even just a weekend, um, out on trying to say, Hey, let's go see if we find this species there, here, whatever, whatever it may be. So the big one, like says alligator snapping turtles, what else? I've helped out. We helped out with box turtles. We've helped other universities with things like Dimeback Terrapins and gone and seen kind of just the overall stuff. Oh, Texas tortoises. 
we've got a little thing kicking off with that. Just kind of, you know, just it just depends on what we can fit into our schedule and our focus of what we see that could be low-hanging fruit, the easy, easy stuff. And then, of course, finding the bigger stuff. But when we're in the process of finding, a, answering a bigger question of what's the population of this area or what's happening with this, there's all this other great little natural history notes that, that come out along the way. So that's kind of what, you know, gets us going, gets us excited. What would you say is the um, biggest conservation issue when it comes to turtles? Like, would you say it's habitat or diseases or humans like running them over with cars or like what? It's absolutely going to be human cause. It's the habitat loss. It's collections for the pet trade, which is a really big one, a really bad one, a really one that's definitely causes a lot. Things like urbanization, which is the road mortality, them getting hit, you know, females going to nests, getting hit. Um, turtles and tortoises are the most endangered group of vertebrates. And I think most people, even that in the herb community, don't realize that. And they don't realize how important turtles are and just kind of overlooked. So I feel like everyone needs to realize, especially herb nerds, is how important turtles and tortoises are and all the stuff that they're facing. With like alligator snapping turtles specifically, um, Obviously, human interaction, humans poaching them. Poaching's a big problem when it comes to alligator snapping turtles. And um, things like fishing, trot lines, hooks, the casual fishing stuff, the trot lines will absolutely kill a 100-plus pound alligator snapping turtle. Like, you know, we've we've had one and collected one that's, you know, a big female that was killed by hook ingestion. And, you know, we get to take x-rays of some of the stuff and, you know, what we can and see hooks in there, you know. So that's going to be a big one as far as kind of like in Texas where people hook them fishing and stuff like that. And I get sent videos all the time of ASTs getting hooked. And most of the time people try to cut it out, but you know, they pull up this big monster, this big dinosaur to them. And obviously they're kind of feisty or, you know, dangerous definitely in a, in a sense for someone that doesn't know how to work with them. So they don't always, they sometimes cut the line and, you know, you kind of hope for the hope for the best, I guess. But anyway, so yeah, that's, it's a big, Humans are definitely the the big problem <laughs> with with everything turtle related, in a you, in a nutshell. There. Do you host any like events to people how to like remove hooks from turtles that they accidentally hook? Not them? yet, not yet. If people call us, um, most of the time people just like are casual fishermen or sports fishermen that try to get it out just from the videos that I've seen. Um, but it's really not that hard. You definitely need like, you know, a a sturdy piece of wood and long pliers and just almost, you know, one person holding it real still. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell someone (laughs) how to do something when you're so comfortable doing it. And, you know, we just know how to do it or, you know, they can take it to some wildlife rehabbers can do it. Some veterinarians will do stuff like that. It just really just depends. It's kind of a, it's kind of been a tricky one on, on stuff, but yeah, it's, it's possible. (laughs) It's just, take some brave people to want to do strange, it because i i mean even i've been fishing since i was a little kid and caught turtles all the time not all the time but pretty frequently and moved including alligator snapping turtles and removed their removed the hooks and I, I never thought of any twice about it but i i'm also a reptile guy so maybe yeah most a lot of people do cut the line you know and then yeah. we've seen turtles that have had a hook like on the roof of their mouth coming out their nose. So we've mm. seen scars where it eventually, like the, it eventually, a uh, heal. And I guess the hook, it gets expelled. It's hard to say. Cause all we see is this redder slider with like 
a messed up septum and like, you know, the nose yeah. and the top jaws, one piece, you know, you see all these variations of, of hook, you know, injuries and ouchies that they have and that they survive, but we don't know the ones that have gotten that have died because of it, you know? So you can't, mm, we don't, okay. can't really say, Oh, all well, look how these turtles are surviving off hook injuries, but we don't know all the ones that died. So it's hard to have a good actual stats on that one, at least right now. Mm. One what day. maybe. Think, what do you think is the main reason for herpers overlooking turtles so much? I have no idea. <laughs> I would ask. I would have to put out a poll. I have no idea. But I mean, I, I just—it always seems that way. And, and like I said, I, at least at least for me, um, there's like a lot of a lot of snake people. It seems like and um, salamander nerds, lizard nerds. Everybody's kind of got their yeah. I love salamanders too. Everyone's got their own little thing. But I feel like I don't know. Maybe we'll take a poll. Turtles are like the yeah, and their the biomass, their contribution, turtles' contribution towards the ecosystem is higher than all the other reptiles. So maybe it's just because it's not something you can like, like you can easily herp a salamander or a, or a lizard, or whatever. Like turtles, I mean, right. you can feed them readily, but like they're in a they're in the water, you know, or most right. Them, maybe if somebody if they can't catch it, maybe that's you know one of the things. It's like they can't flip it, they can't catch it, and I mean it really yeah maybe because like we do a lot what we kind of do from our visual surveys and documentation is like through binoculars it's very similar to birding in fact someone says it's very much like birding i said yeah it kind of is it's the same almost concept of going out looking and watching them but i i don't know <laughs> it's, it's, it's i don't know i i absolutely can sit there and watch a turtle through binoculars pretty easily but easier than i can a bird as much as i love birds and i really turn into a bird nerd in the winter obviously um turtles are easier to watch and sneak up on and just sit there and while watch them and can learn to id stuff but hey i don't know <laughs> looking at herping turtles down here in south florida is actually like it's completely changed how i looked at it down here because it's so different it's the water in a lot of areas is a lot shallower and it's pretty clear in a lot of areas. Like it's, it's yeah, reddish brown, but it's still really clear. And if you have polarized sunglasses, even yes. not, you could like I have some really cool videos of turtles <clears throat> in the water swimming around from a good distance, and it's still like a pretty good video and stuff. So like, it, which is completely different from where I grew up in Georgia. Like, you see the turtles <laughs> out of the water, or if it's on a log, otherwise you can't poop. see it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a so. lot of there's a lot of creeks and ponds. It just depends on where you are and if it rains that you can walk and walk through the creeks and find turtles and observe them that way. But you know, it just I think it depends. Just each person's different. Maybe people don't know how awesome turtles are, and that's something that's else that needs to uh, get out there on how cool they are and how awesome they are and understand their importance. It's it's always an education aspect with with all this. So for sure. Yes. So, uh, circling back to the pet trade, uh, what are the species that seem to be most hard hit uh, by the illegal pet trade? Oh gosh, easy box turtles are up there. I know y'all talked to Emma earlier, and she's taking on a huge feat and doing excellent on on her stuff. But yeah, box turtles are a big one. All the really cute from musk turtles, mud turtles, spotted turtles. Oh gosh, wood turtles. Let me think. What else is? I don't. I'm trying to think of everything that I've I've seen come through the stuff it can be really be anything the Blaming? box turtles are maybe i mean the rarer they are the rarer they are of course people want them and if, of course it's over in in asia and there's a huge obviously there's a huge demand for them here and a lot of people go out and poach turtles and sell them and flip them and all that stuff but um 
that's another story. So it's there's yeah, there's a huge demand for these exotic pets over in in Asia, and then from there they get dispersed out, and even in Europe, um, for fancy, neat, rare looking turtles. A lot of it is box turtles and stuff like that. So, and then of course alligator snapping turtles. Yeah, which is kind of odd considering that. East Asia would have such a big market for them considering they already have a bo- native box turtle over there. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like if you go to the, the markets in Jakarta and Indonesia, it's just a huge overall huge herp and exotic everything. It's mammals, it's birds, it's, I mean, there's songbirds here from the U.S. that get poached and sent over to Asia. So, huh. oh yeah, it's a huge, especially and out of Florida. They, they, they catch them in Florida and they'll send them over to to Asia and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a huge. And even though they have their own boxers, they want something that's rare. They want something from from Mexico or Latin America or here in the U.S. The spotted turtles, um, the eastern box turtles, wood turtles, that sort of stuff. So yeah, they you know people want what they can't have or what's not native to them. And it's all like it's mostly pet. There's no like food or like like in Kentucky, they're not eating a lot of. <laughs> like in Kentucky, so. Yeah, in Asia, they have lots and lots and lots of registered turtle farms. They farm their own turtles there for consumption, be it the Chinese mm. soft shells, whatever it is, of all kinds of stuff. I wish I could remember all the details right now of how many registered turtle farms there are, but there's tons of registered. So they, they produce their own for their own eating, mm. but of course they say wild caught tastes better or whatever. So I think really? they can also, pro- oh yeah, they also produce it for their own pet trade. I mean, there's alligator snapping turtle breeders over there that produ- produce turtles for the snapping turtles for the pet trade but oh. they always want the bigger one they always want a wild caught there's always you know what someone yeah. can't have yeah i remember really? uh i remember reading a few years ago like a alligator snapping turtle would turn up in a wild river in like eastern siberia or something like that oh yeah i'm sure they get relo- turned loose anywhere i mean you can't, they can they only keep them so well unless someone's prepared to really take care of them i mean they get out or someone dumps them i mean they um, can show everywhere now, these farms that are raising them for consumption and stuff, are they doing any kind of, like, conservation work, like how the American alligators... No, not that, no, no, not that I'm aware of. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, if they're, if they're over there breeding soft shells or tiny soft shells for their own consumption, then that's going to all go to the market. It's all food trade. I mean, there might be some pet aspect of them they could sell, but they don't... What are they going to do if they hit raise, you know... I don't, I don't think they... I've never heard of that. Like I said, I wish I could remember the details of this one talk that I'm thinking of, but... I can't the second, but no, there's, it's really is a commercial, it's like cows and chickens here. That's what it is. You, so do you think that's a worthy direction to go that like how they did with the American alligators over here, trying to get them to do conservation along with the alligators and turtles are two totally different ball games almost in that sense. Okay. And there's even debate on the whole alligator thing in, in and of itself. But when it comes to turtles, because turtles take so long and so long to reproduce, an alligator time travel takes what, closer to 11 years to reach sexual maturity. It's not something that I don't, it's not something mm-hmm. that is going to be efficient for someone here to farm for food or for farm and sell. I, I think it, I mean, it, like with in the 60s, 70s, back when Campbell's Soup was producing turtle soup, they would fish out alligator snapping turtles and common snapping turtles from the southeastern part of the US. US. A lot of it's out of Georgia. Went to Camel Foods, and you know they they did that at an extraordinary rate. Um, here, Louisiana allows the take of one alligator snapping turtle or one tur- alligator snapping turtle per person per day. Some people take it to eat it. That's still a lot. It's more than what um, c- it can really handle. There are people that are kind of do this backyard breeding, releasing 
head starting. Um, I don't know a ton of detail on, on those folks, but there's a small aspect of it. The real key is to do something like what Emma has done is, is the reintroduc- reintroducing things that have been confiscated once they've been, been taken from a seizure because it is crazy numbers and trying to reintroduce them. But that's a whole, that's kind of the, where the focus needs to be is how to one is protecting the land. If the land and the pro- these private lands can get protected, or let me say it, let me, have, let me say it, rephrase that. Having protected land to where developers can't go in and destroy habitat, one. I mean, we've seen really good pockets of alligator snapping turtles. From what I can say, I don't have any details yet. Obviously, everything is still in the beginning stages of actual population um, diagnosing of that stats. But it seems like there's really good pockets in, in Texas of nice alligator time and populations. So far from what I can go out on a limb and say. <laughs> like I said, none of that stuff's, you know, none of those stats have been done yet. But that's kind of where things are. So if you can protect the lands, educate people, that's going to be figure out what to do with with alligator, with uh, things like box turtles that have been confiscated, reintroducing them in a while, finding that kind of stuff. It's going to be the better course as of right now from what i can think of at this second <laughs> so uh you, go ahead matt i was just gonna say do you know if there's been any studies done so for instance like here in south florida the number one cause of death for panthers is getting hit by cars so they have like in the everglades they have a daytime speed limit and nighttime speed limit because panthers are mostly crossing the road at night do you know if there are there do you know if there's a specific time when turtles are mostly crossing roads? So, it depends. Like that? It depends. And there are people that go out. There are lots of a couple different groups that will go out during these nesting seasons and help turtles cross the road or kind of be turtle crossing guards. Um, most like diamondback terrapins up in, in New Jersey. There's groups that, that do that and watch out for that. So there are people that, that actively take on that like turtle crossing, making people aware of, of nesting season and stuff like that. Mm. so yeah there's there's that effort i mean here in in texas it's kind of everything's very big as you've heard and yeah. and no if you you know those have lived here so it's kind of like you see that turtle crossing on the rural road and it's a turtle going to nest or whatever it is and so some people still run them over because you know yeah. ignorance is out there yeah so uh how are alligator snapping turtle populations doing as a whole and in texas we have no numbers to actually say that anything as of yet there is a study um called quite a few years back that was done and nothing has really been done since then hence kicking off my organization people from different universities and other private groups uh doing this statewide alligator snapping turtle assessment is kind of what's happening right now. And it's really in the beginning stages of, of any concrete numbers or any saying, this is what the population looks like as of now and that sort of thing. So yeah, we're in the beginning stages. Um, I'm, like I said, kind of can go out on a limb a little bit and seeing what I've seen in the different habitats and different places in Texas that, Oh, this seems to be doing pretty well. Just like I said, as a snapshot, little glance, conservatively saying, okay, maybe this is an, a, a good little spot for him. But there's, like I said, all kinds of other stuff and no numbers have been super crunched yet. 
Um, okay, so let me ask you this. I've heard several different definitions here, but what's the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Okay. One is jargon. <laughs> it's who you ask and what they think. The, the morphology and the overall shell shape um, where a tortoise is suited for land, their feet, or digging, or a higher dome. It's kind of all these different um, things that go into where they primarily will hang out on land, and they do the majority of their thing on land. Um, in Australia, where you go, and they call everything a tortoise. Um, sea turtles are all sea turtles. And then some people, like I said, jargon, everything in between. But, yeah, that's kind of like what you're looking for is, is the overall features of what makes a tortoise a tortoise. And a lot of it also goes back to like how the taxonomy is of the different families and what's closely related. Like box turtles are part of the amided family, meaning they're more closely related to cooters and sliders than they are a tortoise. So that's, that's how that works <laughs> in, in, in a brief, in a brief, uh, just little blurb. That's there. what I've always heard. And that's what I've been telling people is like, well, more specifically, I heard that it's the, the bone structure in the front legs, kind of, you know, basically. Yeah, tortoises different. tend to have more of this, the elephantine, elephant-like yeah, yeah. feet and suited for getting around on their different. And then I heard the, the Australia thing, that Australians. Mm -hmm. It's jargon. Turtles, yeah. yeah, yeah, kind of jargon. and um, I, I don't know. I imagine you don't know a whole ton about sea turtles. Since you're... Yeah. Sea turtles aren't aren't super my thing. <laughs> Even since I was little, um, I live I grew up and lived far away from the coast, and that's it. <laughs> I've I've always gravitated towards turtles, freshwater turtles, box turtles, tortoises, and yeah, tur sea turtles get a lot of publicity. Lots go into it, which is great. Obviously, there's definitely a need, and they had a lot have had a lot right. of threats, and they're all federally protected and that sort of thing. So, obviously, there's a need, but I live so far away from the coast and don't get to work with them. Maybe one day I'll I'll get my fix, but that's that's kind of that. Well, let me ask you this. You may not know the answer, but I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought this kind of struck me as odd. So, a lot of freshwater turtles have like that gill-like structure in their cloaca for like hibernating and stuff. The bursa, um, the bursal sacs. Yeah. Why don't sea turtles have it? You would think the thing that lives solely in water would have something more like that. So I don't know the, the details of the cloaca of sea turtles. Obviously not at all. But a lot of turtles have some sort of way of, of using oxygen. It also depends on how cold the water is. Um, okay, so when you're talking about the like bursa gills, there's actually a turtle called the Fitzroy turtle in Australia that uses and it takes in water through their cloaca and uses these kind of gill like things. And if you have a there's a book called Freshwater Turtles of Australia by John Can. I should go pull it off the shelf. And then another book that Carl Franklin did, and the illustration in there is done by the, a friend of Carl's, and it, it shows the illustration. So that's what I'll tell you to look up as far as how they use oxygen from the water and that sort of thing. Here, um, it can be different. It's different for each species. There you go. And how cold it is, and like a. A, 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 a collider, common snapping turtle, 
being able to, to breathe underwater. And a lot of turtles will swim up under the water and get pockets of air from under the ice. So it's a couple different factors. It's a bunch of different. So, okay. So my, yeah, my understanding was that was pretty much the turtles that were hibernating underneath the mud would, would have. Yeah. It, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure they have. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's some way of them taking an ox up, up, up taking up oxygen and storing oxygen within the stuff. And when their blood, when your heart's beating, you know, that slow, you're not using right. that much oxygen anyways. Right. So it's, they've, they've got it figured out. I have to, I would have have to go dig for um, some real hard stuff for you. But yeah. Yeah. I was uh, talking with uh, Rob Carmichael once and he was telling me that even up where I live and he lives up in uh, Chicago, North of Chicago, well, even up here, which is outside the normal range of uh, alligator snapping turtles, you can't keep them outdoors all year long, so long as oh, it's yeah. a very uh, heavily aerated pond. I know, I know a lot of nerds up in New Jersey that have alligator snap turtles in Connecticut that leave them here all year round. I mean, turtles are way more tough than people maybe realize. I mean, I've, like I said, I've seen, I've seen the Texas tortoises make it through this ice storm we had in Texas a few years ago, and you know they don't range as far as North Texas, but now we know that you know a lot. They obviously a lot of them did survive. I'm sure some stuff that died was already compromised in the first place. But that's par for the course on on any animal and any uh, uh, you know strenuous event. So yeah, they're they're really tough T turtles that people wouldn't think survive in one place do. And part of the low hanging fruit that I got to observe post um, ice storm is observing a turtle that's not native to Texas, obviously surviving through all the ice and snow. And I found it out basking a few days later, you know. So wow. it was pretty cool. So stuff what, like that. Uh, what turtle was that? It was a uh, Sudamese Nelson eye. Oh my gosh, what's the common name, y'all? Florida red belly cooter. Sudamese Nelson I. Yeah, obviously released pet. We do they do show up here in, in Texas frequently. And from what we can from what I could deduce, uh looks like it made it through the ice storm and we went out there when everything was frozen over and a couple days later season's heads popping out, got some good pictures, so planning on writing that little that one up as soon as I get around to it, hopefully. <laughs> if I can. Yeah, but just living up here, it seems like just for me that all the reptiles, turtles are like the first ones to come out after it starts uh, warming up. Yeah, like right. You see. Oh yeah, I definitely see sliders all through the winter. I've seen map turtles out in January. I've seen Texas cooters basking in January, out hanging out. So they're super tough. They're they do they do okay. So there's even like um, reports of wood turtles out in the snow and walking around and stuff like that. So. They're super hardy, super cool, super tough. Um, do you find a lot of, do you get a lot of invasive turtles or just reptiles in general over in Texas? Or is it thankfully the a lot of what have I've seen pop up on INAD, if you want to call it invasive or, you know, obviously hasn't caused an issue as of yet that we're aware of. Um, Florida red belly cooters high in the pet trade release, yellow belly sliders. Uh, that are not native to Texas, those show up and get released in our waterways. We've seen what looks to be hybridization from just, you know, looking at a turtle you caught that looks part yellow belly slider, part redder slider, like I said, just as at a glance. Um, lots of pets, a lot of people's Russian tortoises escape and are constantly being posted on INAD and people think it's a Texas tortoise or, you know, they're out. But so things like Texas tortoises, but I mean, sorry, Russian tortoises. Let me, let me remind again, people's pet Russian tortoises that escape and get out you know, because they're sold at PetSmart here, and those pop up on INAT and, and stuff like that. But I haven't, I don't call it invasive. There's no proof as of yet of them reproducing. <laughs> they could. Show. I'm sure they could, yeah. But so far, those are just like escape pets, escape salcadas, 
um, the occasional desert tortoise shows up in Texas every once in a while from someone translocating it or trying to keep it as a pet. They move to Texas, it gets out, and that sort of thing. So, but nothing, finding... nothing like in. Can you imagine? Sorry, you cut out. No, I was just gonna say, could you imagine stumbling upon a sulcata tortoise? Out in oh Texas? yeah, all the time, all the time. It gets posted all over the internet. Somebody's tortoise is out, you know. Post it here. Got call so and so, or my tortoise got out, you know. So it's, you know, there's people that have seen him wandering down the street of a neighborhood, and you just kind of like <laughs> people tell him corral it, hold tight, start knocking on doors, or post it on Facebook. Whose tortoise got out? So yeah, that's they're you know they're good at getting out, as y'all know. Sulcatas are pretty. Little yeah. tanks. <laughs> bulldoze yeah, through anything. Walls give it Eggs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's a common sight, especially this time of year. Uh, that'd be cool to I mean, yeah. Walk down there's the street a... and you're like, hey, there's a Sokata there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am sure it'll happen one day. I've I've said people post on our Facebook if they found a Sokata like in the woods of East Texas. And I don't know if someone found it in a neighborhood and drove it out to the woods or what, but or they dumped it out there because they didn't want to take care of it any longer. Who knows? I that mean, happens. I mean, if Sulcatas do become an established invasive, that one I wouldn't even be mad. I'd be like, I'm <laughs> uh, they, they could. They could. I mean, they're not that hard. They're pretty easy to reproduce. But they have to find each other and all be that many loose. And I don't think it's going to be an issue. Plus, it, it keeps freezing. A lot of people did lose their pet Sulcata from this last freeze just because they couldn't bring it in. And the power was out for so long that even those that had backup power or didn't have backup power, they didn't think the power was going to be out for that long. So anyway, that's kind of off course, but. Um, do you know for like more terrestrial like turtles or so like box turtles and stuff like that, do they have a pretty wide range? Um, that means like, do they have a pretty good spatial memory? Okay. Wide range as far as their distribution across the state species wise or like home range. Like an individual home range, like two miles, three miles, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I've helped out. I help out a girl do radio telemetry, but I don't know anything of what she's had so far, um, of what she's wrapping up her her master's thesis. But they do travel. I mean, they have a good two mile ish range, give or take. Like I said, I haven't looked at any of her stuff. Um, haven't peeked at anything else recently. This long time ago that I read a bunch of a bunch of stuff like that as far as home range goes. There's some de- some you know literature out there that's been out there for a long time on on all that. But yeah, they have a they have a small home range and don't typically do well translocated and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, if, that, if that's what you're asking, I think that's a question you're getting at. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't... yeah, just like okay. yeah, what's their yeah, what's their home range and then like if they have good spatial awareness range. because of that like if they're moving far or anything yeah i mean they definitely get around they definitely can put some you know get haul across their little preserve or wherever they are and males will move more than females or be more active it just kind of depends on all these multiple factors and stuff but yeah if, they're not, if they're, you see so you said they're not doing well when they're translocated what what's the cause of that is that because they don't recognize where they're at or what it could be a very it could be various things it i mean there's one study that was done at ut tyler who not that long ago i don't know if it got published but i friends with one of the guys that did it and they got all these wayward box turtles that were like from rescues or someone had taken out of the wild as kept as a pet and they just kind of tried to release it not soft release like emma's doing a hard release and just dump them all in this beautiful preserve and they all died they either got eaten by raccoons or they tried to swim halfway across the lake or different various things. And, and you know, I don't know 
it could be anything for why none of those those made it. So that's part of the of the aspect when it comes to like what do you do with a bunch of confiscated box turtles and, and it, it being such an important fact. It, that's why it's such an important thing of of that. So that's like, you know, people have had box turtles for 20, 15 years or they don't know where they originally came from and so then, you know, they end up finding long-term homes for it, be me or whatever, have a few things, but that's that. Wow. So that's a pretty big deal than knowing where it like if it's a yeah, if path. someone if someone finds a turtle crossing the road, we say, hey, yeah, put Sabasha, put it back in the vicinity that it came from. They know where they're going. They typically know what they're doing. Obviously, it's going to be an issue if there's highways and byways and you right. know cement blockage blocking you know roads and stuff like that. But it's it's kind of a case by case basis is how we look at it and using Google Maps and being like, okay, here's woods like right behind your house. Like just leave it alone and you know, but. Then you'll find it in the middle of, of downtown Dallas. The little ornate box I had was found pretty much in the middle of downtown Dallas. So <laughs> just no nowhere for it to be or come from, and it was just someone's pet that got out. Anyways, next topic. Since Nathaniel's a uh, <laughs> over here, needs to wake up. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, uh, so I'm from since I'm friends with Andrew. He's told me a bit, bit about his uh, work researching uh, chicken turtles. Yeah, and he's doing chicken turtles I and other. Kind of found a chicken turtle once with him, but and the reason I use the word kind of is because it's a was a dead on road animal, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But uh, you want to go a little bit more about uh, chicken turtles? I don't. I have not worked with chicken turtles other than they're really really cool. They've got a really neat ecology. Andrew's worked plenty with them. I just finally got to see our first ones a few a few weeks ago like two three weeks ago we went to another university study site and just kind of sat and watched and enjoyed watching them crawl out watching them do their thing they've got incredibly long necks they specialize in eating amphibians they've got a a very unique um habitat selection and behavior and ecology so that's it they're just they're really wild looking (laughs) They're, they're just incredibly neat looking and kind of rare they used to range all the way here up north texas and been documented up here in North Texas, and that's one species that definitely looks like their range has uh, shrunk and don't do well with urbanization. And so that's why there's some another university taking that on as far as figuring out any type of population set assessment and their range and distribution. Just one aspect of that of, of that group's work. So yeah, that's all I can tell you on chicken turtles pretty much for as of what's happening in Texas with them. Oh. Uh- so what turtle native Texas would you say is currently the most at risk? It might be chicken turtles. Chickens and kegels. Kegels, snap turtles have a really small range. Not a lot known about them population-wise. There was a population study done a couple years, 10, 15, 20 years back. I have to remember. And then, like I said, there's a, a, a professor working on it. We're helping him now with with that so those are probably the two really cool rare just not a lot known not a lot's known about smooth soft shells or southern painted turtles in texas there's nothing published on that so i really like southern painted turtles that's something i really want to get to at some point when a lot of this alligator snapping turtle stuff slows down but it may never slow down which is fine with me i'll keep going um Darn it, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, 
I I had heard someone had told me about this. I don't know anything about it. So if you know anything about it, it'd be awesome. So I don't know the name of it, but someone had told me at one point that there's a somewhat arboreal turtle that likes to crawl on like shrubs and bushes and on rocks and stuff. So it's not really arboreal, but it'll climb on bushes and shrubs and rocks and stuff. Do you know anything about that? In Texas? Not in, well, not in Texas. Just oh, uh, in, I don't, I don't, in general. I just heard that. Who'd you, okay, who'd you hear this from? Where did this come from? What's the root of it? <laughs> Who said uh, what? I gotta have was, some background info on this because this is. I'm trying to like narrow down because most turtles like to climb trees. A lot of turtles like to climb trees and stuff. So, is it a region? Okay. Well, I didn't even know must turtles climb trees. So that maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe snapping that, turtles climb trees i that i don't have that's that's actually really interesting so maybe we'll go into that but i don't have any background information other than i don't remember what we were talking about other than i think maybe we we're talking about like flying snakes and lizards and stuff and someone mentioned that there's an arboreal turtle and that's someone is either either they were messing with you or they're just pulling one over on you or it's a specific I don't know what the heck that came, who that came from. You have to tell me who that came from or whatever, because that's, uh, I'd have to need more background where, you, where you're going with that or whoever with that. But like must, mud and musk turtles are really good at climbing branches. And a lot of turtles, you know, will bask out of the water, get a good height out of the, out of the branches. Snapping turtles will climb up on, on trees and logs and can get pretty high up there. So, I, okay, when you said trees, at first I thought you were talking about like trees. I was like, wait a minute. Like, like you know, wood and trees that come out yeah, over, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. over the bank and in the water, yeah. like climb up that that stuff. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, from yeah. what I've seen, that sort of stuff. I mean, my box trails in the backyard will like to climb up on parts of bushes. I mean, anything in captivity will climb up and utilize something to go bask on. So I don't know where <laughs> where that was coming from or where that was going or who was. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think all parts of of Asia of anything but no they're great climbers in general so if they see and they want to go there they're going to go there I've seen turtles climb like straight up on concrete and stuff so wow. not sure where that <laughs> you have a lot of these I heard this but I'm like well where are you hearing this like is someone <laughs> jacking with you or are you just making stuff up well so... I I also a lot well I, I, I watched nothing but documentaries growing up so some of it is like vague like memories of something I might have heard somewhere that it might be just confusing information. Or, you know, when <laughs> that's you're, okay. When you're a small child, you hear something, yeah. you can go a different direction with it. So um, there's definitely things a little when I was little that you kind of think you know understand it differently. But I mean, right. back in the books that I had as a kid, everyone held a snapping turtle by the tail. That was like the common way yeah, to hold a common yeah. snapping turtle. You know, is holding him up by the tail. And you see all these old pictures of people holding. So I mean, we just you know. You, le- you learn and we learn stuff since then. We've come a long way <laughs> in, in everything. Sure. So. For yeah. sure. So, Matt, do you have any other uh, further questions about flying turtles? <laughs> yeah, I want to know where the heck this <laughs> um, Where you're going with this or what? I need some background. Of. I honestly... <laughs> well, so it was... Um... Well, I, I don't know. I'm kind of hesitant to say the name because just because, <laughs> because they might be messing with you or they're dingus well, or well, not necessarily that they're messing, but maybe they meant something completely different. And you just butchered it. Someone hear it and think, oh, that person must be an idiot, but they were. <laughs> or they butchered, yeah, or you just took it and butchered it or somehow. Yeah, okay. yeah butchered it. Or anyway, 
Okay. Um, I'll think about it. Yeah. I'm going to go ask and look stuff up, but at a, off the top of my head, I've seen a lot of turtles basking in kind of, you know, yeah, trees off the water and climbing and, yeah, mud yeah. and turtles. So, anyways, next question, Nathaniel. <laughs> uh, do you do any other work or research with any other, anything other than turtles? Oh, no, not yet. Um, no, it's it's been it's been all turtles all the time the last few years, full speed ahead, that kind of stuff. I really love snakes. Uh, I would love to do more stuff with salamanders and get out seaside. I don't have salamanders so much in my part of the, of the state in my area where I live, so that's a East Texas cold weather type thing. But I don't like the cold weather, so I've seen a good amount of salamanders in like Pennsylvania and Kentucky, visiting friends there. Um, but I've seen hellbenders. I think what other stuff I really like other than turtles and salamanders and snakes, I guess. But yeah, that's that's one downside. The South Florida has a lot of really cool stuff. The downs one downside is they have like two salamanders, and they're like yeah, your generic like two line salamander. And I don't remember the other one, but it's nothing really impressive. I mean, they're not even super prevalent either, so that's that's a downside. But yeah, do you, do you do a lot of herping? And I, I don't. I imagine you don't have a lot of free time, but. Not so much anymore. Um, I have a friend coming up. We are going to do a little bit of stuff this weekend because he wants to see less, some stuff that he hasn't seen. And so we might try seeing some stuff here. Um, but no, like I said, it really is a lot of turtles, all turtles all the time <laughs> in the recent years. I don't herp so much anymore just because people on social media like to be jerks and I'm over it and I'm tired <laughs> of seeing all this stuff. All the time. I'm like, you know what? Y'all just not made this fun anymore. Of course. You know, it's, it's just I haven't had time. I do so much with having a normal job and then turtle work and stuff that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you over in? Um, I, you may have said this. I missed. It. Are you over in East Texas? No, I I live and mostly based out of North Texas, but I spend lots okay. of time in East Texas as of lately with all these species. Oh, um, closer to Dallas. You, yeah, like closer to Dallas. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm okay, in the, yeah, the Texas Dallas area. Yeah. yeah, but I spend a lot of time in East Texas, and Central Texas is a really awesome part of the state for turtles, and it's kind of been the two main areas I've, we've, we've been at a lot for work, for turtle work. Interesting. Um, I, think, is that, I think that's all my questions, I think. I feel like I'm going to think of something later, but uh, I think that's all my questions. Okay. Uh, Are there what? actually? I have another question. And sorry, mm -hmm. I didn't see a question there, Nate. Go ahead. <laughs> are there? Are there a lot of? Are there a lot of turtles over in um, West Texas where it's a lot more desert? Not quite as many. Um, obviously, where there's wherever there's not water, there's less. But there's some pretty neat. Yeah neat species that you know the Rio Grande Cuda ranges all the way up into you know southern part of New Mexico we've seen them out there with all that oil rigging stuff and the way the water is treatment it's super salty water from all that you know oil work that happens out there so it's a lot less there's definitely ornate box turtles out there and the Big Bend region there's the uh, Big Bend slider which is a really cool slider so there's a few things out there um a really rare 
mud turtle, the rough-footed mud turtle, some people call the Mexican plateau mud turtle, that there's incredibly like 300 left in this one small region of Texas. So there's some really, a really rare, um, not really widely talked about known turtle out there that's really cool that's still on my list of getting to getting to see just because of how isolated they are and their mm. you know inability to access you can't just go to any river stream and you know pop out binoculars and see them necessarily so yeah so there's some pretty cool stuff uh, mud turtles must yellow mud turtles um, are out in West Texas. Sorry, you said East Texas or West Texas. You did say West Texas, right? Right, West Texas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we got yellow mud turtles, rough-footed mud turtle, box turtles, um, Big Bend region, the Rio Big Bend slider, the Rio Grande Cooter, Cooter that's down along the border of the Rio Grande, you know, Laredo, Del Rio, that part all the way up to Albuquerque. Albuquerque was? Yeah. So I've seen them in, in New Mexico and a good portion of their range. The, yeah, that's the really, really neat turtles. The rough-footed, are they rare just because lower numbers or they're harder to they, like hide more? They have a very limited, isolated population, and that population seems to be very genetically related, and there's a group of nerds working with that um, that not a ton has been published as of yet on that. But So there's a group of nerds working with that. So it's a very, a very unique, very rare, very small number. Uh, they're going to be elevated to species status. Right now it's a subspecies, rich, um, considered subspecies getting elevated to species status. So, yeah, that's, like I said, another, another group of really rare, interesting turtle that a lot of people just don't know about. You said the genetics are very similar, like, as in, like, inbreeding-wise? Like, well, not inbreeding Yeah, they're, genet- they're very closely related because, I mean, there's these small tanks and small areas. I, like I said... I haven't been there. Carl's been there. Um, knows a little more about it than I do on this stuff, obviously, on as far as this goes. And I'm not quite the person to get into the weeds on yeah, it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's a really That's unique, cool. small population of, of a really rare turtle. Probably the most rare turtle in the U.S. Easy to say, but probably say. So, yeah. Okay, so... Uh... You know the question, Matt? Before yeah, Nathaniel falls you. asleep over here. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Ask your question, Nate. Sorry. Yeah, Nate. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite turtle? <laughs> oh, God. I've asked this question so many times. I will say that the uh, one I'm closest to is the three-toed box turtle. Very similar. Small home range. Kind of same behavior. Just That's the kind of turtle I guess I say I relate more to. That's kind of... My spirit turtle, I guess. Sure. No, yeah, that's it. Three, my spirit animal. Three-toed box turtle. They're awesome. They're super great, super cool. Um, kind of people don't... They're not as flashy and shiny as the eastern box turtle and tend to be more brown and plain and simple, but super, super cool. Fascinating uh, for a box turtle. I think box turtle, period. So, yeah. And uh, what would be... How big was the uh, largest turtle you've ever found? So... The biggest one we did was when we did for Animal Planet, 123, 124 pounds wow. uh, that Coyote caught. That was really cool. And then we've caught another 23-pounder a couple years back. And then this past weekend, 112-pounder. So in there, um, the biggest documented is the folks of Stephen F. Austin, 211 pounds. And 
Uh, that's the new Texas record. And yeah, that's that's the new Texas record right now. But yeah, we've ours is about one twenty three. So that's we'll see. Grown, that's full grown man sized turtle. They're they're you're, it's huge. They're really really neat. They look bigger than they weigh because the one we caught a few weekends ago was only a hundred only a hundred and twelve pounds. I thought it was gonna be a lot bigger. I thought it was closer to the one twenty. That's um, still side really of yeah, um, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, it's only 112. It looks bigger than that. <laughs> um, you said Coyote caught that? Coyote um, Peterson? Yeah. Yeah, we did an episode with him, Animal Planet, a few years ago. A couple episodes with him on his Brave wilderness stuff. And it was really cool. It was really – I did not think he was <laughs> going to pull it off. And, uh, yeah, um, he did. It was pretty funny. Out of curiosity, it, you don't, and you don't have to answer the question if you don't want to. What are your thoughts on him? Oh, this one! I finally got asked this question all these years of me doing these, and someone's someone's uh, gonna pull this on. Okay, I guess I've been <laughs> waiting for the years of this. So, I was the biggest outspoken nerd as far as not being a fan, and okay. one day I got this email. Had no idea what Brave Wilderness was saw that there was this email address and talking back and forth to someone named Mario. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hell no. And I called Carl, who's the president of the organization. I was like, there's no way. Because they needed help, assistance, education, permit, you know, the whole thing with this episode they came to do. And they'd, he'd been visiting this area out in East Texas, um, visiting this turtle pretty semi-frequently as far as doing other episodes. So I was very like... No way. <laughs> no way. And it's one of those things that if you stayed open-minded, and thankfully, a lot of his stuff changed from the very beginning, obviously, because there's all, a lot of the stuff, and I talked to Mario about this intense, and, you know, so much, that thankfully it, uh, oh, did y'all go back? There you go. I don't know if that was my battery or what. It's getting the 10-minute warning, or 10% warning. Um yeah, I, I'm glad we stayed open-minded. I'm glad Carl was open-minded with it, and I'm glad I got to meet him in person, and I'm glad I got to – I'm glad that things changed from how he started off in the business and what he's put out lately with, like, the series he did with a lot of young kids. I was just super excited for it. Like, it's just been really, really neat seeing it. And I think that takes a lot for someone to be like – There's we see it all the time. We see the stupid free handling – we see people in Florida, you've seen it all the time, doing really dumb stuff with venomous snakes and all that stuff. So the fact that he's changed and, like, ha- taking it to this educational aspect, I'm just like, this is really cool. And it's just, it's really, really, but people said the same damn thing about um, Steve Irwin. They hated yeah. him. People in the zoo, back in the day, they same thing. It was, I mean, and he, and he did some kind of dumb stuff in reality, too. I mean, things that you, we wouldn't do now. And I was like, and we all loved him. I absolutely loved him. So mm-hmm. it's it's been very it's been very cool and of course you're never gonna make some people happy. These hurt a lot of herpers, herp nerds, herp people, yeah. whatever, I can, are never gonna be happy no matter what you do or don't do. So it was it was a very long process for me to be like, okay, let's do this episode. Go look at the episode, go watch the episodes that I did with him. It's the most recent one, the behind the scenes where we did all the morph metrics was was really, really cool. And that's what needed to be out there. And that's what people need to see. Because he's not appealing to the average herp nerd. You're never going to make the herp nerd happy. I mean, you're just, we're just not. <laughs> I mean, you're not. And if it, it, it's yeah. good, right? You're not. And um, mm-hmm. people are going to find whatever, anything and everything about you posting a picture of catching a snake. It doesn't matter if you or whoever it is, 
they're never gonna be happy. So when it when we saw how many young kids got excited over it and how many young kids are doing all like just super duper excited about like, okay, that's who we need to that's who needs to know how important turtles are. That's the generation yeah. that, that need to you know, that need to know this important stuff and get excited about it. So anyway. So, I haven't seen any of his, of his recent stuff. But exactly. <laughs> I, I was I was um I've recently somewhat changed my opinion on him because I was actually talking to a guy um about it because he said his daughter watches coyote peterson and stuff and i was i was telling him um i told him why i i disliked him and stuff and then i was saying how um well and then he said well i like my daughter watching it because if it's between coyote peterson someone who's educating her on whatever you know or watching some stupid cart mindless cartoon he preferred to watch that. He's like, it's really, he's like, it's getting my daughters into. Oh yeah. It, and the outdoors it, it, and stuff like that. It absolutely is. If you watch the wild field trip that the series he just did, where he picks a, a child from each part of kind of like the U S he goes in Ohio, he does Lake Erie water snake. He does Florida and he takes these young girls and guys, which is really freaking cool. Seeing these really young girls like doing this stuff. I'm like, Holy cow. It's an excellent, excellent series. So you you go back and man, if someone would have told me I could have made a million dollars by getting bit and stung, you would have freaking done it. Like, how many times have I gotten bit and stung for free? Like, right, oh, right. okay. Any any herb nerd would have done it for a million dollars. It's like, I mean, I got I got nipped last week by an AST for the first time, you know, and hopefully the last and only time. I'm not gonna re I'm not gonna recreate that one, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty. His his stuff's been really is really good. It's definitely the other stuff that's like, oh god, no, but. Like I said, you're never gonna make some of these people happy. That's how it is. I saw. I didn't watch it, but I saw this thing on getting stung by the red velvet ant, and I said the same thing. I was like, "Man, I've been stung by those before." Like, <laughs> We've been stung for free. I've been. I was yeah. bit last week. I was. I get stung. I got scratched going down there. I set a trap. I'm all scratched up. I get bit. Yeah, it's that's that's yeah. insect stuff is easy, and a lot of people. Because I was that person that said all this crap, <laughs> and then my sister's like, "Oh my god, that's what's gonna come back now." You're actually meeting him and you're working with him, and you said all that stuff. I said, "Oh my gosh," she's like, "Someone's gonna pull that out of the you know internet archive." Yeah, yeah, yeah. The woodwork. It's like someone's gonna pull it. Like here you are, but yeah, it's it took it keeps an open mind and seeing how someone's changed and progressed and whether or not they are gonna take a different approach and change things and and realizing, oh, that's not how I should have done. Like okay. You know, and and a lot of people that I hear gripe about it all the time have never watched an episode. And I had never watched an episode until they, until I got eaten on. I was like, oh, this is what it is? I would have been all over it as a kid. I was all like loving Steve Irwin constantly. I watched every single thing on Animal Planet. And looking back now, it's like, oh, that wasn't safe. Shouldn't be free handling that. He shouldn't have been doing that. That's probably staged. You know, I mean, it's, it's been like this for decades and decades and eons, but... Yeah, when the guy had said that that I was talking to, he's like, no, I guess my girls, they're all into it and all that stuff, um, into outdoors and biology and stuff. That changed my mindset because that's what I always tell people when I'm defending Steve Irwin. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's the same thing. It's, they yeah, said the same, same thing, thing about Steve Irwin. The old, yeah. yeah so. And I was, I, was just, I was just like, huh. I was like, that's exactly the same thing that I say about Steve Irwin is that he may have not always been exactly correct in what he said or what he did, but he got so many people into it bingo really i mean what good... 90 million subscribers 90 million he's in the guinness book of world records he they published a scientific paper on reaching um 
reaching the average person through community, like an actual scientific paper that was published um, of just their work and how they used YouTube to reach millions and billions of people. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah, and go this, watch his, his recent stuff. It's really, really cool, especially seeing what really, What really originally turned me off from him was before I had that conversation and stuff, was I had a kid come in. I was interning at the Kentucky Reptile Zoo. And I had a kid oh, come in. I know those nerds. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I didn't know you knew those nerds, too. I was up there a couple years ago. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a great place. It's yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, that makes yeah, so. sense now. Okay. <laughs> I, anyway, my brain's going. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I had a kid come in that was – uh that was asking if we could take all these different snakes out so we could get bit by them and stuff i was like this oh is yeah totally not yeah it wanted to hold a an alligator you know we'd let people take pictures with alligators with their their mouths banded shut and everything and and he was like all upset the mouth is banded shut he's like yeah why, why is the mouth banded shut and we're like because so you don't get bit he's like no i want I want it to bite yeah me. that's i i agree it's like okay that missed the mark on wood and i think you know yeah he told me it's because he watched yeah. Coyote Peterson, and that's when I was like, "All right, oh, I don't really like this guy." Yeah, I told, and I was like, I said, I was, I was there. My sister's like, "Oh my god, you said all those things, and you wrote that on the, you know, like, and now you're like, yeah." So, and again, I had never watched an episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking all this crap, and I had never watched an episode until you know we start, we worked with him. So it was really cool. Like I said, seeing things the way things cut and edited and behind the camera is different than how they really are. Yeah. It just is. And seeing it and living it and knowing him. And I texted him last week, you know, like it's, it's a different Whoa. thing. You'd be like, oh, okay, you're a normal. You're like, you're a normal. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like you're, he's <laughs> a normal person. He's just another yeah, yeah. normal person. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I mean, I, he texts me happy Thanksgiving. It's, it's great. So, I mean, it's That's really that, cool. uh, that kid who was asking to get bit, it's pretty obvious he's never been bit before. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not, you know, I've and like I said, little gator and yeah, yeah actually it was pretty funny it was at the kentucky reptile zoo the guy yeah. who was supposed to hold the mouth shut wasn't doing it right and oh, i went funny. to go band it turned it yeah turned and bit my finger and of course the, a little kid sitting there wanting to hold it and then he sees my, <laughs> my my hand just pouring blood out and so but you know i was i was calm about it and stuff i went and he held the mouth shut correctly abandoned it and i was like all right i'm gonna go get a band-aid just walked off but the kid was just like what just happened? <laughs> they don't, and, and you know what? Think about it. That they, if you see a lot of fake stuff on TV and you don't know what's real and you're so young, I mean, there's a, there's that element too of being kind of too young and no one explaining it to you. I mean, what wrestling? I don't know if y'all y'all know this, but there's back in the day there's wrestling WWE stuff and kids would try to recreate it and kill themselves and get seriously hurt because you know, I mean, you yeah. see that. And so I also obviously there's an aspect of why he changed and. Mario is just an absolute incredible biologist himself and stuff. And they're just, they're just really cool. It's really, I really enjoy seeing him on the, hopefully I can see him again this year. Maybe we'll see. Anyways, it'd be great. It's been really great with him. Uh, so yeah, good. now it makes sense. <laughs> I've got um, 5% left on this iPad. So. Which is yeah. funny because I always thought, okay, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but yeah, it's funny. Cause I, um, we don't have to wrap it up. Jim I'm just saying, if I go bye bye, y'all know why. <laughs> I got five percent one. Jim, Jim Harrison at the Kentucky Reptiles. He's I know not a big fan of Oh, I know. We're not about. I'm gonna. We're gonna skip that section. I know. I know. I was there. Like I said, I was there a few years ago. Yeah. We'll fast forward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So same exact reason. So yeah, it's it's just I know how the generations kind of go. So. 
Yeah. No. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um. All right. Well, Nate, you got any more questions? Fine. Yep. All righty. Well, I guess this is a pretty good spot to end since you're about to <laughs> conk out us and conk out on us anyway. So. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Yeah. It was different. It was fun. All right. Awesome. That's good. Thanks, all everyone. Right. TexasTurtles.org, Facebook, Instagram, all the all the things. Awesome. <laughs> for sure. All yeah, right, check it out. All righty. Thank you for coming on. See you next thanks. time. Thanks. Bye. This episode was sponsored by Serpents and Salamanders. For all your high-quality snakes and salamanders, go to these guys. These guys have been longtime good friends of mine in the reptile community, and I have gotten multiple animals from them, and I can attest to the high-quality uh, animals that they produce. So go check them out. Hit them up uh, their Instagram, at Serpents and Salamanders, or check out their website. You can also find them at Facebook, at Serpents and Salamanders. Thank you.